I um, saved an email that I got that uh, it was entitled, I'm paraphrasing, in honor of people who are prone to do dumb things. And it is directions on actual products. And people need directions. For instance, on a hair dryer, Sears hair dryer, it says this. It says, do not use while sleeping. Well, when am I going to do my hair? Or on a bar of dial soap, use like regular soap. Or here's one on a, on a uh, box containing tiramisu dessert written on the bottom. Do not turn upside down. Bread pudding. Product will be hot after heating. Here's one uh, for, for, uh, for an iron. Do not iron clothes on body. So I'm thinking, I'm looking for an iron where I can drive down the road and press my clothes and text all at the same time. That's what I really want. This one I thought was kind of funny. on a, uh, Directions on children's cough medicine. Do not drive a car or operate machinery after taking this medication. But mommy, I want to drive your car. Sleep aid. This may cause drowsiness. Good, I'm going to get it then. Christmas lights. You'll often find the directions for indoor or outdoor use only. Thanks for narrowing that down. On a Superman costume. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. Tommy, would you get down off the roof? Didn't you read the directions? This one. This is the last one. On a Swedish chainsaw. Do not attempt to stop chain with your hands or other parts of the body. Glad you pointed that out. (laughs) Dumb things. Well, here's what we want to think about today. I want you to think about something that throughout history, at least for the last 2,000 years, many people have thought is, is really pretty dumb. And many people today think this is pretty dumb. And what I'm talking about is actually our verse for today. It's a very familiar verse that's found in Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I always like to say this verse is dynamite because 10, 9, and 10. You could say Romans T and T, and it really is a dynamite verse. And here's what it says. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the gospel. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's the word of the Lord, saying that Jesus is Lord. Now, to a lot of people, that's dumb. That's just plain Ridiculous. I mean, they might give you the fact that he was a great, you know, teacher or, or, or lived a, a great example of a moral life, of an ethical life. You know, you've heard this before. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we can wear this bracelet, the WWJD. I just want to do whatever Jesus would do. I can live with that. But, but what does it really mean? I mean, to be able to say that he is Lord... To place your life in the, your eternal destiny in the hands of this Jewish carpenter who went about Galilee a couple of thousand years ago claiming to be God. In many people's minds, that's crazy. That's even insulting to some people. And to many, it is a dumb thing to believe. But also, there are many people 
all over the world throughout the centuries who have done exactly that. They have staked their eternal destiny on this Jewish carpenter. And they have said, you know, it is worth it to follow Jesus Christ. And so what I'd like to do this uh, is really to challenge us, you know, this first Sunday of the new year, to think about what it means, what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. And to commit maybe to, to learning uh, anew or afresh all the benefits that lie in this passage that's found in Romans. Jesus is Lord. How does it make you feel? You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is referred to as Savior ten times. He is referred to as Lord over 700 times. And way back in the day when, when, when people first started calling Jesus Lord, uh, Lord, you know, the society back then was, you could worship pretty much anybody or anything you wanted to. You know, in fact, even during the time of Jesus, there were many walking around claiming to be the Messiah. You know, in the centers of learning and in the centers of commerce, the large cities, there were many customs and there were traditions that varied from neighborhood to neighborhood. It was a very pluralistic, pluralistic society, not that different from the day. There were lots of beliefs. There were lots of uh, idols. There were lots of false gods. It, was, it wasn't that big, deal, uh, that big a deal. Just believe whatever you want to believe. And in the Roman Empire, which was the empire of that day that ruled Jerusalem and the Mediterranean, it's okay. You can have all the lords that you wanted to have as you, long as you understood that the true lord to be worshipped was Caesar. Now, this meant for Christians that, that they could go on and, and, and worship Jesus as, as long as they wanted. It wasn't any big deal as long as they paid homage to Caesar. As long as they recognized the, the sovereignty of Caesar. He said, come on, you can, you can follow Jesus. You can, you can follow whomever you want. All you have to do is show up every now and then and throw a few bucks in the kitty and maybe make a sacrifice or two and, and just kind of mumble out, I'm a hell Caesar. Then you can go on your way. No reason to make a big deal of it. I mean, it, it seems simple enough. But we know that there were many who professed Jesus as Lord that knew they couldn't bow to Caesar, that Caesar never was or could be Lord. And they would not bow to any other God, no matter what the cost. They were serious. And their enemies who persecuted them knew, maybe even better than many folks in church today, they knew exactly what they meant. That to say Jesus is Lord, it meant saying that Jesus is the master, that he is the, the absolute owner, the ruler, the, the uncontested Power, the unmatched authority above all and over all. There's only one God and Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And he's either Lord or he isn't. And if he is Lord at all, then he is Lord of all. 
And you know, there are missiologists that are telling us that more Christians are being persecuted for this dumb idea than at any other time in history. Why is that? It's because they know something in their heart to be true and they confess it. They are gripped by the life that Jesus led, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, by how he is so much more than just a a good guy or or, or a moral teacher. They knew that Jesus Christ is not a Lord. He isn't only the Lord. But what they are saying and what one says when they practice this verse is that he is my Lord. And you see, that's what this passage is calling us to, that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Here's some facts about Jesus. In John 1, it teaches us that he existed Eternally, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh in John 1.14 and dwelt among us. Matthew 18 says that Jesus is present everywhere. Philippians chapter 3 says that Jesus is all-powerful. Revelation 1 says that He is unchanging. Matthew 9 says that He forgives sin. And then in Revelation chapter 2, it says that He is involved not only in creation, but also in restoring creation. Listen to Colossians 1.15. It's considered a, a, a Christological passage. It's the one that talks about who Jesus is. It says, in chapter 1, starting in verse 15 of Colossians, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is what is seen of the invisible God. He is the firstborn In other words, he has preeminent rank over all creation. By him, all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things are created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Life is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the passage goes on to say, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God in the flesh, the the, the agent of creation who holds the very molecules of your body together in this room that holds this, the walls and the ceiling literally holds that together went to the cross and shed his blood so that we might have peace with the Father. And it says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You know what that means? It means it's not about me. It means our lives are about him, that Jesus is Lord of all. 
When you turn on the TV and watch the news, he is the Lord over everything that happens in the world. He is the Lord of the economy. He is the Lord of world events. He is the Lord of everything that, that goes around. He is the Lord of, of, of our jobs. He is the Lord of our money. He is the Lord of our family. He is the Lord of our leisure time. He's the Lord of that remote control. He is the Lord over the worries that from time to time we tend to welcome. Are you good with that? Are you, are you happy with what that looks like, that Jesus is Lord, what that looks like in your life? Well then, what does it mean for us to, 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 to believe and to confess that Jesus is Lord? Not an extensive list, but here's some thoughts that, that uh, I think can go to answering that question. First of all is this. If you believe and you declare that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then you should have a growing, consuming desire to know Jesus Christ and to find him as your source of greatest satisfaction. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 3 when he talks about how his desire was, was to know him personally and to know his righteous character and to know his power and even to experience his sufferings. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming even like him in death. A growing uh, desire to know Christ. A growing in, in intent to find our greatest satisfaction in Jesus, my Lord. Think about that. What, does that. what does that look like? How do you work that out in your life? I think the second thing is this. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, I'm reminded of what the famous missionary Jim Elliot said, and this is true if you confess Jesus is Lord. Remember, he said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, what he's saying is that it's worth it to follow Christ. No matter, no matter how weary life gets, no matter how confusing Life can be sometimes, no matter how dumb it might seem to people around us to follow Christ. Hang in there. It's worth it. Because what we gain in following Christ, we cannot lose. I think that's the second thing. Another thing would be this. If Jesus is my Lord, then maybe Jesus wants to do more in us and through us than we think. 
Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's kind of a long quote, but it's from his, his famous book, Mere Christianity. Lewis says, I think that many of us tend to become satisfied in our faith. We point to one or two victories God gives us. Our lives are generally happy most of the time. We thank God for his blessings. We pray and come to church most of the time. God is so good. He has done all that we wanted him to do. So we become content with where we are in our faith. Self-satisfied. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and, and so on. And you knew that these jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts a lot. And it does not seem to make sense. He asks you to show him the dining room of your appetites or the playroom where you spend your leisure time or that hall closet where we keep all of our secret stuff. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. Then he concludes by saying this. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. How willing are we to be an active participant in his work in our lives? Number four, if Jesus is my Lord, then we will have a growing desire to pursue him and to seek to understand his word. Because we know that his word is living and it is active and it is eternal and it is profitable for living the kind of life that he wants us to, to lead. There's power in his word. So if Jesus is my Lord, then, then, then we want to seek to know him. We want to seek the riches that are found in his word. We want to seek the blessings that are there. We want to seek to live it. And he gives us the grace to pursue him. That's number four. And then number five. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in that in your heart, if we do that, that means we're in a wonderful, wonderful place. It means that we are... We are personally related to the king, to the one that we sang about this morning. That we are under the protection, the sovereign protection of the Lord of the universe. And we can rest with, with, with great assurance that he really does love his children. And that he is doing something so very special in us. His grace is more than sufficient for us. And then lastly, if you confess and believe that Jesus is my Lord, then you are on the path to great blessing. Might not always be easy. Might not always understand it. 
But he can and does far more, can do and he does far more beyond all that we could ever ask or think. I read this story uh, from, from a sermon of one of my favorite preachers uh, who tells this story about a great preacher named uh, Dr. George Duncan. It's a true story. He told the story of an old man who had one son, and the son was a pilot, and he was killed in World War II. Well, eventually, this wealthy old man died, and he didn't have any heirs. So his estate was auctioned off. Now, part of this wealthy man's estate was this fabulous art collection. And one of those auction houses in London took the task of auctioning off all of these paintings. Many were done by by great masters, and they were worth a lot. And so on the day of the auction, people had come, and they had gathered there from all over uh, England because they wanted the chance to buy in to this great art collection. Well, the auctioneer came up and he put a portrait, the first portrait, on an easel that was standing there. And it was a portrait of somebody that nobody knew. They didn't recognize the painting. They had no idea who who painted it. Actually, it was a portrait of the old man's son. Well, the buyers didn't know that, so they thought it was worthless because it didn't have any connections, and of course no one would would bid on it. But there happened to be in the audience one of the old man's lifetime's servants, and he had known the son from the time he was a very small child all the way up to the time that he died in the plane crash. And he thought to himself, you know, it would be nice to have this portrait. Nobody else is bidding on it, so I can probably get it cheap. Well, as he was thinking that, the auctioneer said that, that the will stated that before any other pieces of art could be sold, this one had to be sold first. In other words, you couldn't auction off all these great pieces of art until this simple portrait was sold. Well, the old servant bid on it, and he got it. Everybody was relieved because they could get on with what they came there for. They could get on with the, with the good stuff. Then, to everyone's surprise, the auctioneer got up and he said, the auction is over. Well, everyone was stunned. The auctioneer explained that the will further stipulated that whoever gets the picture of the son gets the whole lot. Well, Dr. Duncan, the preacher that was telling this story, uh, someone asked him afterwards if this story was true. And he said it was true. In fact, I know the man. And then Dr. Duncan said, Remember, whoever gets Jesus gets the whole lot. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, Jesus is Lord. So see, you know, confessing Jesus is Lord isn't dumb at all. I mean, if he is Lord and he is, then we're just claiming what is true and we're staking our lives on the one who lived on earth, who died for this problem of sin, our sin, and rose again. And I think that is a pretty good place to be. So maybe, I don't know, if you've made any New Year's resolutions, forget all the 
the studies done on how many people don't keep their New Year's resolutions. You know, they try to do it on their own. If we try to make a, a resolution that has to do with our faith, we never do it on our own. And we can't do it on our own anyway. But for everything, even to understand that Jesus is Lord, we have help. We receive that from the Holy Spirit. And so whenever we do make a resolution, we want to make it knowing, Lord, I am depending upon you in order to carry this out. But let me suggest two things that might seem dumb to many, but not to us. Number one, maybe ask the Lord to show you what it looks like to yield your heart fully to Jesus Christ. To understand what it means, maybe in a fresh way, what His grace really looks like. The grace that even allows us the privilege of making Him our Lord. And then number two, ask the Lord to show you how wonderfully fortunate we are to live under His sovereign, wise loving lordship. Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that uh, uh, you care about us, uh, that you care about us to to come in the flesh uh, and and to send your son uh, to, to, to die on the cross for our sins. And we ask, Lord, that, that your spirit might open our hearts to know the fullness of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.